A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. All right. Now, this is going to be over and done in about 15, 15 minutes, I reckon. If we get to 15 minutes on this, I'll be surprised. I oh. will be very much be surprised. Right. So, all right. It's still a special tub- sub- subject anyway. Yeah, go ahead. Well, not, not really. You know, don't get me wrong. I love the archers and you think I'm an archers nerd. I'm actually not an archers nerd. Let's leave the discussion to the program. Okay. It was the best of time. It was the worst of time. She was the people's princess. To fight on the beaches. Oh, wait, man. These are the things that made England. To fight on the landing ground. These are the things that made I England. I have a body, but of a weak and feeble woman. These are the things that made England. And a king of England, too. These are the things that made England. Cry God for Harry! And these are the things that made England. England! And St. George! These are the things that made England. Hello and welcome to The Things That Made England. This is the show where myself, Royfield Brown, and my uh, partner in crime, one David Crowther, talk about the things that we think have been culturally significant in building up, creating, displaying the wares of England. David, how are you today, sir? I'm all right. I'm a little overweight, to be honest, but apart from that, I'm good. Oh, me too. I'm somewhat going on a... Uh, absolutely restricting my calorific input in the last week and i'm exercising because um i am going to do a show in front of my listeners in about a month's time and i don't want anybody lardy on stage in that statement there mm-hmm. i just like to object on behalf of lard <laughs> lard is one of my favorite foods and you know you've clearly linked it to a negative image and I just like, you know, I feel offended by that, all right? David. So I apologise to lard. Are you totally serious that you like lard? I love lard. Jesus. Oh, come on. Lard is fantastic taste. We need to meet up to do an episode, because I want to do an episode on English buns. And one of the finest of English buns is something called lardy cake. It's an absolute triumph. It's got an image problem, I'll grant you. But <laughs> fantastic. Anyway, look, we've moved on to lard away from your topic, We have. I think that this topic is so English, it's peak England, that there is no debate that what I'm going to propose is one of the things which, at least in the last 60-odd years, has been a defining aspect of English culture. It's The Archers, which is a British radio soap. And I say British because it comes from from the BBC. And you can find it on Radio 4. But this is so English.
James? Are you up here? What's going on? Has Leonie left? Darling? Talk to yourself, Lillian. Look, I, I, I've got your dressing gown. I, I'm going to hang it up in the bathroom. All right, James? Don't... <gasps> James! Mum, shut the door. Sorry. I, um, I, I didn't know Leonie was still here. Look, I'll leave your dressing gown outside. Hello? Lillian? Brenda! Anyone about? Um, yes. Ah, uh, do you always come up? No. Uh, no, no, no. Uh, stay right there. How do you decide which one of you is going to be the natural farmer? Toss a coin. Who's it going to be then? You? No, it'll be Ian, won't it? He's the one wearing the trousers in your house. And the penny, I suppose. Confused the heck out of your poor kid. Personally, I think the term natural father is misleading. Shut up. Nothing natural about it, is there? Going begging to any random woman to provide the pipeworks you ain't... Stay away from Lillian. And stay out of my business. You're an idiot, Adam. Oh. You think anyone's going to hand you a baby after you attack a man in a car park? <laughs> All it takes is one call to the police. And he's a good listener. Attentive. That's very important. And easy to talk to. I've already told him things I've never... It's silly, really. I've known him for such a short time, but... Well, I feel I can trust him. I don't think it's silly at all. It must be lovely for you to have a confidant after all those years on your own. Well, I've never been lonely. I've had the family and good friends like you. Yes, but family and friends look to you to be the strong one. Expect you to listen to them. I suppose that's true. I know what I'm talking about, Jill. I know you do. And it sounds to me as though you and Leonard might be a bit more than friends. And what would you think about that if we were? Jill, I'm just pleased to see you happy. But you can see that it's complicated, having this happen at my age. Does your age make any difference to the way you're feeling? No. It was first broadcast, David, in... Uh, do you want to take a wild guess when this on, radio slope was first broadcast? Hopefully, you've just told me. 1960. 1951. Right, OK, it wasn't bad, except you just said it was 60 years old. I, I did say 60-odd. Ah, OK. And it's probably the most powerful exponent of traditional English culture on the planet, right? So, kind of like last episode... Very much about the countryside. Mm, it absolutely was. So you're talking about the abattoir and the potential sale of it? No, I was just saying that... Oh, no, sorry, the last episode of Our The Things That Made England rather than last... Oh, I was actually going to make that link in, in my intro, that there, there is a follow-through. And I suppose because maybe in the last episode, uh, it reveals a lot about... David and I's respective views of how we view to the English countryside, that I've very much learned a lot about the English countryside from actually listening to 
the archers. Now, I would say that the archers as a program is more powerful than the royal family as a kind of exponent of uh, English culture because the royal family are British, Scottish, Greek and German. And the archers is just so quintessentially English. It's a lot of the things, to be totally honest with you, listener, that David was talking about in, in the last episode. It's about a rural village. It's about a rhythm and a, and a way of life, which feels that in large part um, has been um, put in aspic for the last two, three hundred years. But the Arches is English with a capital E-N-G-L-I-S-H. It is so English. You hear the accents. They come from, it's not only just rural English accents, but the whole rest of this kind of like uh, wonderful country. It's near Brum, isn't it? I mean, it's mm. so where Ambridge, which is where it's set, is supposed to be, is some miles south of Birmingham. Uh, but the the accents that they use are kind of really more further south, as you said, more kind of Wessex. But then the, the, there is this kind of inherent problem now with a lot of the middle class characters sounding almost like this kind of neutral middle class English accent. They increasingly do have characters from Newcastle. So Ruth is from Newcastle, characters from Liverpool. So you can help to differentiate which character is who because they know there is this problem and it's kind of interesting on the whole kind of accents they're used in the archers if you listen to old recordings of the archers 50 years ago yeah uh, 60 years ago 40 years ago there was an accent used which is almost completely gone they really did literally yank yokels off their hay bales and throw them in a studio and put them in front of a microphone. And and these were real country folk. And those accents have just gone. Is that right? So you're saying the older ones, which I would have thought was very counter beeb the older ones were more authentic than... Because I thought mm. in the 50s, everybody had to speak RP, and that was it. Well, again, there's always been a class divide. So the working class, characters like Jethro or Walter Gabriel, you listen to them now and they have these incredible voices which have been lost by the end of the 20th century. Wonderful rural accents. And I believe the actor who played Walter Gabriel was not an actor. It was somebody who was literally yanked from a farm, put in front of a, a mic and just told to speak. And all the labourers had these beautiful, beautiful accents. And there's been a somewhat of a flattening of the rural accents. You still have a family, the Grundys and the Carters, though Susan Carter has a Brummie accent because it's close to Birmingham. But the Grundys don't. They have a kind of... Um, Identical Wesley Saxon, don't they? Yeah, yeah. This kind of rural working class thing, which is a, it sounds a bit Norfolk, sounds a bit Somerset, sounds a bit. You just know that these people just work on the land with, with an accent like that. So the Archers is the everyday story of country folk, of which has now aired over nineteen thousand episodes and is the world's longest running drama, and of course, it's the best. One of your, you know, you're a big devotee aren't you don't you run into a podcast and I say you're having a bit of a do where lots of people are going to come and talk to you about it I I do and I fell in love with the archers 
around about 1984, 1985. And for me, it was Teenage Rebellion because I, uh, my parents... Teenage Rebellion. I didn't realise you were such a sad character, Royfer. I've always been trendy, you know, urban, you know, modern progressive. And your way of rebellion was through the arches. Well... It was actually through Radio 4, then it ended up with the Archers. <laughs> well, that's all right, then. If your rebellion was ready through Radio 4, your radicalism is re-established. <laughs> let me explain, sir. Let me explain. I grew up on a diet, up to about the age of 14, of local commercial radio, BRMB, a radio station in Birmingham, which is now defunct. Um, Les Ross was the DJ, very good DJ. Every third record, then you got an ad. And when I discovered you could actually turn the dial around about the age of 13, 14, and people talked, and but talked about the news. They didn't just tell you the news. They talked about the news. I was captivated. And then there were the afternoon plays on Radio 4. Mm. And the thing which is utterly iconic about The Archers is its theme tune. It's a thing called Barwick Green, which is a traditional maypole dance. And it is distinctive, but also provokes ridicule. It's so jaunty and it harkens back to another time. It sounds incredibly old fashioned. When that theme tune came on the radio, David, I switched off. And once I couldn't switch off fast enough, I was the other side of the room and I heard Kathy Perks in a clinch with the local policeman. She was obviously having an affair. And I went, aye, aye. Is this what they do on the archers? And I've been hooked ever since. So the the folk music thing turned you off? It's such a signifier. So many people call it dumdy click. Tim Bentink, who plays David Archer, who's one of the the main stars of the show, he said his family were dumdy click growing up. He said they heard the the the, the strains of Barwick Green and then oh my god, and they switched it off. And he said, Little did I know. I would end up not only acting on it, but <laughs> acting on it for 40 odd years. The theme tune is so distinctive. It is. As I said, it's a maypole dance, and it was written in 1924 by a Yorkshire composer called Arthur Wood. So powerful and so iconic is this anthem that many a person, admittedly in jest, has said that the English national anthem should be changed to the strains of Barwick Green. But they haven't got any, they haven't got any words, but yeah, go on then. <laughs> but the worst to Jerusalem to Barwick Green is Billy Colony uh, has a famous sketch basically about changing the English national anthem to that of the theme tune of the Archers. Again, though he was joking, the fact that he could make this joke, many a truthful thing said in jest. It's just so English. Um, there are an awful lot of people who've never listened and would never listen and would rather eat their liver than listen to the Archers still know that tune and that Archers is and stands for. And that was also going to be one of the points I was going to make, and and you made it so well. There are six million, uh, five million Brits that listen to the Archers every week. So that means there's, what, a good 62 million that don't. But if you go, if you go, even if people can't exactly tell you the show, Obviously, most would, they could do the tune. It's so gone into the consciousness and it's ingrained into, I'd say, into the communal psyche of England. 
that you just go dum de dum and people just continue going on. That's how uh, iconic, how important, that's how resonant uh, the theme tune of this programme actually is. So it's the story of everyday folk set in the Midlands in England. Of course, you get sheep, beer, the church and the class system with a little bit of occasional rape, bankruptcy, all in a contemporary drama. Uh, They have tried to put some more racy themes in haven't they you know rather than whether the seed drills are the right depth this year well that's what everybody always says it's always been the case it's all right one of the biggest storylines was the the death of grace archer yeah in in the mid 50s and grace archer was a new glamorous wife who had come into the show and Script writers, get a message from on high. You guys need to do something pretty big because uh, a thing called ITV, independent television, is going to launch on a Wednesday evening. So we need to scupper this. So Grace Archer runs into a barn, into a, a, a fiery inferno to go and rescue a horse, and she never came out. That episode had 20 million listeners. That was the power in the early days of the archers. So they've always done racy storylines. In the late 60s, Jennifer Archer, who uh, subsequently married becomes becomes Jennifer Aldridge, had a child out of wedlock. And so powerful was that storyline that I get listeners to my podcast saying my mom would switch off the radio when Jennifer Archer came on because she disapproved. That was cutting against social norms of the time. Mm, yeah. You know, and for the BBC to, to sanction such a storyline on such a beloved institution then w- was shocking. So they've always had a history of being on the nose when it came to contemporary issues. It's also one of the on-running themes that the media have is to say that, oh, the archers are dialing things up now. They've always actually dialed things up, but it's because it sits next to crop rotation, silage, and milking the cows. There's a lot of talk about silage. There is. There is. More more actually than I would uh, think is advisable. It has to be said, and you can go Google this. There is a quote from me, I believe in the Telegraph, saying they need to dial down all the farming stuff on the archers. It's not what I uh, tune into a rural soap to listen to. And I said that somewhat tongue-in-cheek. And, of course, <laughs> it's taken somewhat, somewhat out of context and, it, and it's immortalised it in, in the Telegraph. Somewhere. Yeah, you should have said that in the Telegraph. I mean, you know, <laughs> if you said that in the Express or wherever, that would be fine. But the Telegraph, they live for silage in the Telegraph. Absolutely. So Godfrey Baisley was the person who uh, created uh, this wonderful thing. And in its early days, the show was used as a conduit for educational announcements from the Ministry of Agriculture. The fact that this thing started in 1951 was really important because the country is just uh, getting back on its feet after the Second World War. And the Ministry of Agriculture wanted a way to inform farmers what they should be planting and, and new government directives. So instead of them doing a public service announcement, they put together the archers to help the farming sector. That's all right. And the government only stopped 
planting messages in the arches in 1972. Is that right? I know, it's utterly amazing. Though it was so heavy handed in the early days that what would happen was literally one actor would read out a government announcement almost verbatim to another. It really was pretty stilted right. and, and, and very heavy handed. If you reverse it and do it the wrong way, you get some weird occult message, apparently. or you probably end up with an eu butter mountain or something another if you reverse it but anyway originally it was set around the lives of three farmers Uh, the solid dan archer hence the archers walter gabriel he was a symbol for farming badly he didn't have much money and he was always cutting corners in other words, he was working class. And George Fairbrother, who's a wealthy businessman, who was uh, using it as a, as a tax write-off. So right there, you had aspects yeah. of the British social kind of class system. And of course, the programme was hugely successful straight out of the gate. Right. Because of great acting and great writing. But also because of an accurate image of England was portrayed to the world. And there was a point when the Archers was on every day in Canada, in New Zealand, in Australia, South Africa, when uh, there was still a bit of an empire and uh, the Commonwealth really meant something. You know, this was a thing which my dad was aware of growing up in Jamaica. Actually, it's quite quite interesting. So I um, I did a post on my Facebook site today related to one of the episodes I'm just doing. Uh, mm-hmm. About George Formby, mm-hmm. you know George Formby. Yeah, I'm sitting under a lamppost. Da, 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 da. Yeah, yeah, I know. And when I'm cleaning windows, ukulele, Wigan. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I'd have thought George Formby is pretty much as English as the Archers, probably more so, but just a bit older. And Pauline from Australia, I think it's Oz, it might have been New Zealand, said that they used to know it down there as well. Mm. I mean, George Formby in New Zealand. Well, I mean, I'm sorry, that's a stunning concept. Well, there there was a time when if you were a a Dominion or a colonial broadcaster, you didn't have a lot of um, homegrown output. So you would take output from the BBC. So, as I said, so there was this uh, period of the 1950s through to 60s where you could grow up in some far-flung bit of the planet but as long as it used to be red or pink on a map that actually you were listening to to stuff like this so to me it's not that surprising that somebody of a certain age from new zealand is aware of george formby pauline's dad in new zealand was also very keen on somebody called una winifred atwell oh i don't know who that is she's a trinidadian who did boogie woogie and ragtime in what must be, I suppose, the 1930s, 1940s, just after the war. Mm. There you go. All the way to New Zealand from British um, radio and and, uh, films. I I spend a lot of time in Canada. It's where I am at the moment. Always surprises me the amount of Canadians that watch Coronation Street. So there still is... Coronation Street, unless they want to kill themselves. Why would you do (laughs) that? Well... I grew up watching Coronation Street. Sorry to interrupt again. Coronation Street, fine, because it's got a sense of humour. EastEnders is the one you've got to be mad. Exactly, exactly. I grew up watching Coronation Street, and it's a much cleverer study of working class 
northern England than ever East Enders of East End London. And as you just said, with la- with lashings of humour, lashings of humour and irony in a way that you just don't get on East Enders. <laughs> so this show is an accurate portrayal uh, of England and it has a view of England which is very saleable throughout the world so hence Canadians listen to it used to listen to it sorry Australians whatever as I said before the audience did peak at around about 20 million there was a point in the mid 50s where it was the biggest soap in the country it's the biggest drama in the country period but today instead of it being 20 million listeners 5 million Brits still listen to it every week with around 1 million and rising others downloading it throughout the world and they download the show through the podcast format and I didn't put this kind of in my notes but off the top of my head I'm going to stick my neck out and say this that the BBC use the radio I play which is now BBC Sounds the Archers is very much a leader for it in terms of getting older Brits to download the app it's seen as the one thing which will get uh, somebody who's a little bit kind of gray-haired maybe not that au fait with downloading apps and and having ipads and having things on the phone that they go and say look you can download the archers and then they know that your maiden aunt or your granny will actually go you know what i need to try and get, get this to work and they say there's one million people all around planet earth that uh, download the archers every week right um six million worldwide yeah yeah six million listeners every week and what they listen to is six episodes a week at 12 and a half minutes in length and if you're in the uk it comes on at uh, two minutes past seven just after seven o'clock news and then there is an omnibus on a sunday there you will not get a new archers episode on a saturday it's the only day of the week when there is no archers the sounds and the rhythms of this show, as I've said before, are such a fabric and a part of England. And in a way, this is mirrored in the actor June Spencer, who's played Peggy Archer, forward slash Woolly. Check this out, David, from the pilot episode. Exactly. And she's still in it now. Peggy, isn't she? Isn't she, I thought she was on the way out, didn't she? Isn't she? Um, no, she's still quite compassmentous, isn't she? Totally. Yeah, she no. did a great scene last week with her granddaughter, Kate, with Kate basically saying, I can't bring my boyfriend over, Grandma, because Kate lives with her grandma because, <clears throat> Grandma, I'm very expressive. And Peggy pretends like she doesn't understand at all what, what Kate is talking about and then says, oh, I will put in earplugs like this. And, and Kate says, no, Grandma, I'm very expressive. I, re- I really like to be appreciative when my boyfriend is around. And it's a great scene. And this actor is 100 years old. And not only is she very compass mentors, right, she has great comic timing and, and, and delivery. And the, the character of Peggy is still is a central character today and it's one of the lovely things about the archers is that as actors age they don't write them out unless that that actor actually passes on that is quite interesting i must admit that so i mean i i think in the list of i'm just looking at the list of people here people like tasmin Gregg have been there for i mean she was deborah oldrich which is ages ago and she's Mm. isn't she And they always pull her back. And she's a really interesting actor in that her career takes off because she's in The Archers. 
But then she's been in Hollywood movies. She yeah. she can just do whatever the heck she wants. But she st- still so loves being part of the community of actors, which are part of the archers. So she said, never write me out. And she comes back once a year for, right. for a family Christmas. Yeah. Or there is, you'll hear her on Skype occasionally. And trust me, she don't need the money at all. No. The, the money she's getting from, from doing the archers. It says something, there's something very special about the Brotherhood of Actors that actually do, uh, do and create the, the archers, that somebody of her kind of stature is still actually a part of it. And, um, and the, the lovely thing is about Peggy, as I was kind of say, saying before, is that, She's been in it from episode one. She hasn't always played the same character, but she was on the pilot episode, which was done in 1950. She just celebrated her 100th birthday in real life, though Peggy, the the character, is only supposed to be like 92. I say only 92. And many people call her the Daily Mail made manifest in, in one character. Really? And I, th- and I think that's a little bit harsh. Very harsh. You know, I seen yeah, I, Daily Mail. My my co-host Lucy always says she's the Daily Mail, but I think that's a little bit harsh. But what she is is an amazing character, and she is an amazing matriarch. And the actor that plays her, I think, you know, her story now surpasses that of the the story actually of the character that she plays. A hundred still working, traveling up to Birmingham on the train to deliver these lines, and she has an incredibly distinct voice, and she's just a, a, a brilliant actor. And you and you yourself have kind of said this is that there are not just actors that have uh, been on the show and been on the show for years, but there have been lots of one offs where they've had great actors and also even royalties. So Princess Margaret came on and, and did an episode once through to sportsmen of the day, people like Bradley Wiggins, a famous cyclist. Joan Collins has been on and, and done one episode. It's so beloved of of English people, but also of the acting fraternity. What great actors and celebrities will go, I'll go on that once because it's an institution to say that you've actually been on the Archers. So this thing, David, is peak England. Yeah, follows- you know, I'm not arguing. I'm, a, I'm it, agreeing furiously here. It follows the traditions and the cycle of, of England. It's the English church and English cultural life. They're all there. So... Every year, there's a storyline around Lent, Shrove Tuesday, the Village Fate, the Flower and Produce Show, the WI, the Village Cricket Team, and the Panto. Every year, as sure as as eggs is eggs, there's always a Panto. There's all one of these things which are quintessentially English. Actually, the Pantos, though, is something that ought to be banned, obviously, but, you know. I couldn't agree with you more. I find the Panto uh, somewhat tiresome because every year they lead us to believe that the actors can't remember their lines, uh, the sets won't be done in time, but it's always all right on the night. It's going to be a shambles, but they always pull it off every year and it, it is fundamentally the same storyline but just with different characters playing different roles in a different play and stuff but who could argue and say that the panto isn't a quintessential part of an english panto full stop it needs to be banned doesn't it? yeah well, panto just stop now stop being silly we know it's a rubbish idea let's just stop now david I didn't go to Pantos when I was a, a kid growing up, so I don't have an affinity with it, but I see it as being quintessentially part of the cultural firmament 
uh, of these of this aisle, sir. So whilst Doom. emotionally I, g- I agree with you, I have to give it a pass. Um, we've said that the this show does tackle contemporary social issues. We've had drug addiction, rape, as we mentioned before, rural homelessness, as we kind of did touch on before, at least the lack of affordable housing anyway, in the last episode of our show. Uh, we've done interfaith relationships. The vicar married somebody who was a non-practicing Hindu. We've had gay marriage, and the two gay men at the moment have actually just had a, a baby son. Mm-hmm. And of course, family breakups. But when these storylines hit, many of them make the headlines in the UK media. That's how big a deal this show is. So the storyline that included marital rape and coercive control, which is about two, three years ago now, that storyline not only made all the press in the media within the UK, but one listener, Paul Truman, raised £175,000 off the back of that story for the charity Refuge because of the storyline which had Helen Kitchener being abused by her husband and fleeing domestic abuse. He put a page up as a bit of a whim after one harrowing episode on Just Giving. And within, I think he said two hours, he had over £2,000 and he just kept on going and going. So good was the writing on that storyline that Refuge, the charity, got completely behind it. They were helping the script writers. All the nuance of the things that the character that Helen was saying was actually authentic. And every aspect of that story was pulled from the stories of different women who had been in abusive relationships. That is how special The Archers is. And so many people, and I'm one of them, and I'd never even heard of the expression coercive control before Mm. uh, that storyline played out. There's government legislation now about coercive control, but also the awareness of it is is very much heightened. That, again, is the power of the archers. So we talked about the death of Great Archer with the launch of uh, UK TV's uh, first independent television station, ITV. We've talked about its effect in the media. We've talked about the iconic nature of its theme tune that every person uh, can, can hum whether they know actually what they're humming or not. It actively reflects the British class system and always has done. I give you the most English thing ever, the archers. Well, obviously you're guilty of a little bit of hyperbole of saying... No, 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 David. David, I've played it down. I've played it down. You know that I've been doing a podcast for five years every week about the archers. And I slightly come... I had to be dragged into doing this today because I was going to do another topic. But I just, because I slightly play down my love and devotion for the Archers. It's an incredibly special program. One of the things which I haven't mentioned, which I didn't mention, I should say, is that I believe one of the reasons why the Archers excites passions uh, of people all throughout the world is because it's a radio drama. So the characters look however you want them to look. You paint the room, you decorate the room that they're in or the field that they're in when the the drama is taking place. It's like reading the best book, which gives you uh, the bones and the gristle of a great storyline, but you still then flesh it out in your imagination. So listening to The Archers 
now is a very solitary experience because everybody's got their headphones on and listening through earbuds. Back in the day in the 1950s, people did gather around the radio and listen to it. But it's because we're painting our own pictures for this thing that um, it speaks to just about everybody. The characters are 3D enough that nothing tangible can happen in an episode. And you go, that's a great episode because it's characters who you know and who you love talking and interacting, going bird watching. These are things which you didn't exactly mention bird watching in the last episode that we did but to do the countryside but there's so many rural things that happen that i gladly actually listen to because it's a character study and then occasionally some drama happens but it feels incredibly true to life there are loads of villains running around in the arches there's the odd bad egg Yes, there is, because it is a drama. But fundamentally, it's people like you, people like me. We can see ourselves in one or two characters and we understand them because we hear, we've been hearing them speak for years and years. And the lack of turnover of actors makes it even more real that you are in the same place. You've been in the same place. So I've been in the same place listening to this um, since 1984. And half of the cast is still actually there. It is quite interesting that um, where soaps used to be, so if you see the old Coronation Streets, you know, the days of Ina Sharples, it was about ordinary people coping with the world. And then EastEnders took soaps away from that into film-like drama where, you know, people were getting routinely killed. There were, you know, there were really bad villains you know, it was less nuanced, actually, more mm. sensationalist. Uh, so it's quite interesting that Ar- The Archers has stayed in that original space. Yes, it's got some exciting storylines, but, but this, but it's not about villains and, you know, it's not about Dirty Den or whatever. It's about ordinary people having the sort of challenges that other people might have. Couldn't put it better myself. And I always say I want an episode where nothing happens because those are the best because it's all about clever dialogue and character development which just goes back up your point the scene with peggy and her granddaughter kate was utterly funny and exquisite and i remarked to my co-host on, on dumpty dum uh she hated that scene i loved it you know if you look at the life of Peggy Archer. Here was somebody who came to the village. Uh, I believe Peggy was supposed to have come from the East End of London. So in, in the Second World War or after the Second World War, and she lands up in, in Ambridge. She gets married to uh, Dan Archer, who is a drunk. He runs the pub and she basically brings up the kids and runs the pub by herself. Sorry, Jack. Dan, Dan was his father, Jack Archer. And she brings up the family by herself. Uh, she's a widow. She remarries for a second time. She kind of comes into a little bit of money. And now she is a matriarch. And you look back at her, her the, that character's life. She, she has um, black South African grandchildren. She has a gay grandson who's now just had a child with his uh, gay husband. And the strength and the wisdom that that character displays 
but it's all incredibly be- believable and how she accepts things and and how she kind of pulls her family together. I, I love the thing and, and I can't sell it highly enough in terms of I like continuing drama. At the moment, I'm listening to Succession, which is a great HBO program. And in a way, uh, this is the opposite to Succession in that Succession is all about um, high finance and big money and flashy helicopters in, in New York and it's a media, media-owning family. But what they do have at its heart, both of them have, they're great character studies. So in Succession, they're all villains, they're all nasty people. In The Archers, they're all believable, but they're great character studies. And any show where you have to slightly scratch your head and say, I enjoyed that, but what really happened for me is always a great show. True. I think we're I think we're all in agreement. Awesome. Right. So I'm expecting 100% on this. Anybody that says the Archers does not deserve to go into the cabinet will be blackballed, will be. Uh, can I uh, ban them from the Facebook group, Dave? Uh, I think that's called, what's it called? Tyranny. <laughs> no, it's called benevolent dictatorship is what oh, it is. Okay. Dave. I'll be I'll be I'll be blackballing them for their own good. Now, benevolent to chuck people off our Facebook group because it's, you know, just too agonizing. Well, I don't mind having that agonising job because I feel uh, very passionate about the Archers, as well you know, and I always underplay it because I am really a little bit of an Archers nut. But anyway. Right. um, So should we uh, wash up from the last episode? uh, Let's do that. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. So, uh, hey, we're uh, back again. And I need to scroll through our The Things That Made England Facebook page from way back to uh, early December from when our last Countryside episode dropped to uh, update myself a little. I think that most people will know by now that David is laid low, so I hope you will all bear with us while we try to work out next steps. So, on to the Countryside episode. What is clear from the voting public is that the vast majority agreed with David's proposition that the English countryside is England. I know I did. Only three people signed up to Royfield's yawn uh, that condemned the countryside to a bygone age. 
Royfield, I am looking at the English countryside as I record, and it is definitely still there. Tim added an option to make sure that the towns of England and the countryside received equal recognition, and Rebecca wanted to draw attention to the importance of England in agricultural and horticultural development. As ever, there was a robust debate around the topic itself. Poor Royfield was slightly beset, not least by people pointing out that he is a massive fan of the archers and is billed as an everyday story of country folk. Stephen had a quite marvellous rant, which is worth a read in its entirety. Ben took us meandering down the importance of the English system of public paths, and quite a few people made some key points about how the countryside is not just a middle-class idyll. Sarah, like me, grew up in the countryside before the internet, and it can be quite an isolating sort of place. Alison Mary summed up what quite a lot of people seem to feel about the countryside. Lovely to look at, but I don't enjoy it. So, what else have we seen on the Facebook page since the last episode? Inevitably, there has been a bit of a Harry and Meghan hoo-ha. This really isn't my kind of thing at all. But from the comments, the New York Times article that Michelle posted seems to have been interesting. If you want to read some more about two people moving to Canada because they want to. Much more interesting to me were a couple of language-based posts from Royfield and Rowena. Royfield posted a scale of English altercation that ran the full gamut from a bit of a to-do to shit went down. Though, to be honest, that sounds a lot more American than British to me. I am an English teacher by profession and the complexities of the English language have kept me in employment for most of my adult life. So I really enjoyed Rowena's perfectly sensical sentence. All the faith he had 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 no effect on the outcome of his life. I mean, if you can't enjoy two past perfects in a row and the use of have as both main verb and auxiliary, what kind of monster are you? I think there's a sentence where you can say buffalo, 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 buffalo. But I might need one of our American listeners to explain quite how that works. Speaking of our audience from across the pond, Jennifer has shared a highly practical guide on how not to get murdered when visiting a quaint English village. I think this is a must-read for anyone who is planning a visit to our fair land this summer. As anyone with even a passing knowledge of the oeuvre of Don Nettles will know, the English village is a place with a kill rate comparable only to 1970s Cambodia. But I regret to inform you that, while we are all under threat, it is always the American tourists who cop it first. Read Jennifer's article. Come prepared. I would like to add a very personal note to this episode about the countryside. I live on the farm where I was born in rural Buckinghamshire 50 years ago. When I was born, it really was rural, but then they built the new city of Milton Keynes right next to us. There's a north-south high-speed link being built not far away, and an east-west railway planned at the bottom of our neighbour's field. Then, finally, they are thinking of running a motorway somewhere between our neighbour and our field. All of these developments require the ripping up of at least part of the countryside. I went to visit a nearby friend at Christmas, and the countryside round her village had been devastated, with ancient hedgerows and copses being torn up to make way for a train track that we might not even be able to afford. 
I shared a post to our Facebook group about another road expansion that will threaten the peace of the ancient Rollwright stones. Stonehenge is also being threatened by road development. So while I would totally agree that the countryside has made England, I would also like to add that it is being unmade. So maybe Royfield is right to say that the chocolate box version of the countryside is from a bygone age. I will be seeing less and less countryside from my window as the years go by. Thank you for that roundup. And it's so great to hear everybody's thoughts and feelings um, about uh, our output, sir. David, shall we say that this is the best presentation that's ever been done on this show? Uh, in terms of something which was undeniably English. I'll, I will admit that 1066 was maybe a close second, but it's still second. <laughs> no. Next. <laughs> well, I know, I know that our great listenership uh, will agree with me. And the exciting thing for me about doing this uh, subject matter is that I know that a few new Archers listeners have now just been discovered. They're like, oh, You're what is this thing? You're using the things that made England as a recruiting drum for the archers. I knew there was a reason you were doing this, and now I know. Well, considering that you told me to do it. But anyway, and also for Dum De Dum, my podcast is a podcast which uh, comes out weekly, which discusses the archers. So, yes. Uh, so, so thank you for allowing me to be uh, a recruiting sergeant for two things that I'm very passionate about. Uh, David, I think we should say goodbye. Uh, That's been enough from us. Would it be tacky of me to ask people that if they have the time and the wit to maybe write a review? Because we don't say it every week. Yes, it would be tacky. Well, it's been done. So there you go, folks. Write a review on Apple Apple Podcasts. Tacky and I hate you. What film is that from? I have no idea. Please remind me. No, well, well, people can can tell us. Awesome. See me. Listen to feedback. Anyway, very good. It's ending chaos and despair. Fantastic. Well done, Royfield. Excellent, of course. Bye, everybody. Bye, bye. When the archers started. There were only seven of us in that pilot episode, and in fact only seven of us in uh, episode one, which uh, went out on January the 1st, 1951. And rather sad to say, I'm the only member of that original cast still left. Of course, quite early on in the, in the Arches, we had a quite a scandalous story. Peggy's daughter, Jennifer, unmarried, had an illegitimate baby and uh, oh my goodness that created a great sensation I'll read you one of the letters that I had I think you ought to know that your daughter Jennifer is going to have a baby only three people know the vicar the doctor and your daughter Lillian why don't you know don't you listen to the program yes I had a wonderful surprise one morning later on in that year. My husband was up early for once and uh, he'd collected the mail and came rushing in with this letter. There, open that, he said. And I thought, what on earth can this be? And it was to say that the Queen was uh, thinking of giving me the OBE. The Queen was obviously primed because she said, oh, and you're in the arches.
and I said yes mom for 40, uh, 40 years and uh, she said that's a long time to which I agreed and I've been practicing my curtsy because I was determined I was not going to do a little bob I was going to do a deep curtsy as befits an actress and uh, I managed to do that without falling over and again three paces back another curtsy and off there have been two big stories for me in the arches. One was Jack and Peggy's wedding, and the other was, of course, Jack's Alzheimer's. So many other soaps and programs have treated that subject, but they've wrapped it up in, in a couple of weeks, whereas we have treated it as a real illness, terrible illness that it is. This, of course, was a reflection in what had happened to me in real life because Roger, towards the end of our long and happy marriage, began to show signs of Alzheimer's and it got steadily worse. Then he had a stroke and uh, eventually, of course, he died. But I have one wonderful memory. Just, I think it was two days before that happened. It was a beautiful day in May. The flowers were lovely in the garden. And I said, Let, let's have lunch in the garden today. So I helped him out and sat him under the sun umbrella. And I made a nice salad. We had a bottle of chilled white wine. And he kept saying, what a lovely lunch. Isn't this lovely? And that was a wonderful memory to have. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.